Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, I didn't want to preach this passage this morning. And uh, as the one who sets the preaching roster, often you can get away with not having to preach what you don't want to preach because I just change it midweek and I don't tell you. Right? But I stuck with it this week. And part of the reason I didn't want to preach this passage is when I first saw it, it, it always reminds me of this image. Like it's such a kid's passage. Uh, that's the first thing that I think about the passage that we're going to look today. The feeding of the 5,000. The minute I hear that, I think that's a Sunday school passage. Uh, most of you have already heard it. I've heard it. It's the thing back in the day, like we would, we would cut loaves and fishes out and we would stick them up on the wall. Anyone ever do this at Sunday school? You'd stick them up on the wall. The, the, the material that you cut up kind of determines which generation you're in, right? I, I was paper. There are some people here with flannel graph. Yeah, right. Joycey? Yeah, Annie? Flannel graph? Okay, we've got a few flannel graphs up there. Most of us don't even know what that is. My kids these days are like, is it on the iPad? Is there an app for that? <laughs> right? And so I, I thought, I, I don't want to preach a kid's passage this morning where Jesus like multiplies a kid's play lunch. Right? How, how could that work for us this morning? And yet, what hit me is this passage is such a word in season for so many of us. A word in a season where I feel at the moment there is so much demand and so little supply. Have you found that? That, like, first and foremost, daylight savings. We've just had an hour taken aw- of sunlight taken away from us. There's not enough daylight now. We know that the days are creeping in. But, of course, if you read the news stories, it's nothing new. It feels like, feels like every week that I wake up, inflation's taken another 1% out of what we have. Is it just me that feels like that? We've got inflation pushing against us. Rents are pushing up. If you own a business, like insurances are up 50%. Your costs are up 30%. Like you just, every time you wake up at the moment, it feels like you wake up with less. Less money, less time, less purchasing power, less sleep, mums. Less time to yourself. And as a result, there's a question that is starting to lurk at the back of our minds, a little inner voice that we all start asking ourselves now. There's a question that we keep asking each week that we wake up in this season, and the question is this, will it be enough? Will I have enough? Is it enough? Will I have enough money? Will I have enough savings? Will I have enough salary? Will I have enough revenue? Will I have enough clients? Will I have enough time? Will I have enough emotional capacity? (laughs) Amen? Will it be enough? And what I hope that you get by the end of this story and this encounter with Jesus is that I'm starting to realize, not only through my own life, but through speaking to people that sit in front of me here, that scarcity is not a situation. Scarcity is a sensation. It's not a fact, it's a feeling. And you've heard me use this example before, right? Like, who, who drove here this morning? There, there we go. Congratulations. You are classified as being in, in the top 1% richest people in the world. And yet, if you're anything like me, you're kind of looking at, oh, Sydney house prices and Sydney rents and Sydney availability and Sydney property and Sydney this, Sydney that. And, and if you're anything like me, you start to get down on yourself going, will it be enough? And yet scarcity is situational. I remember a story from 
from, uh, from the guy that runs the rice movement. And he'd been across to, um, and his name's Steve, Steve Chong. Uh, this happens from time to time when you're a preacher, Steve Chong. Um, Chongy. Uh, he'd been across to Syria watching the church over there, and when he was here with a few of the pastors here, he said the thing that hit him the most when he came back was how happy these Syrian Christians were in their affliction, and so unhappy we were as Christians in our country. Scarcity is not a situation, it's a sensation. And I, I don't know about you, but I've found there can never be enough. There can be, never be enough money to make you feel like you've got enough. There can never be enough compliments to make me feel like I've got myself together. And of course, this is a modern problem, right? It's just limited to us moderns. It's a, a modern issue. But would it surprise you that that same feeling and those same questions is what popped up for the followers of Jesus? If you want to start cutting out, if you want to start doing your little characters, you can start cutting out and doing your characters in the story now. As we understand that in this passage, the momentum of the Jesus movement is taking off. Uh, the momentum of the Jesus movement is in its final years. And so as a result, Jesus is traveling all around the countryside of the Sea of Galilee into the north of Israel. And he's really a hit at the moment. And people are just after him wherever they are. And so first and foremost, Jesus tries to get up a mountain. Who here would love to just get up a mountain this week and get away from people? Right? Just ask any of the mums here who have been inter interrupted 15 times in the shower before the day even starts, right? Wouldn't we all just love to get up a mountain? Jesus gets up the mountain. And then something that's quite similar to a scene out of a Beatles documentary starts to take place. Right? The disciples get away and the, someone from the multitudes of crowd, I don't know who it was, but they wrecked the whole thing for him, screams out, it's Jesus! Right? And so something remembers the Beatles concert or for the millennials, a Bieber concert, right? Everyone, everyone runs off and all the crowd runs off and starts to mob Jesus. And here we have the passage from Matthew's account. In verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him still on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need, not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Send them away. Here's the thing. The disciples saw a multitude, not of people, but of issues. There was logistical issues and there were financial issues and there were emotional capacity issues. They saw a whole host of issues and they began to ask the same question that we ask when we face the multitude of issues. Will it be enough? Will I have enough? And isn't that how you and I start to feel looking into this year? Here come the multitude of issues. Here comes the electricity bill. Here comes the insurances. Here comes the rents. You know, I start taking photos of this stuff now. You know, the other day I saw a $6 lettuce. They're, they're a rare find. A $6 lettuce. Wow. Will it be enough? And here's the thing. They saw a multitude of issues. Jesus saw an opportunity for a miracle. And I just want to share with you this morning a couple of revelations and observations out of this passage for me that I saw in this. This passage is the greatest of Jesus' ever recorded miracles. It's the only one that all four different Gospels record. It's why I'll jump in between some of them to get different perspectives. 
But it's the only miracle of Jesus recorded in all four Gospels, which which says all the boys were there to watch this. And I'll draw out a couple of observations. Here's the first one. I love this because this is such an us thing to do. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And when they saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, healed their sick. And it's already getting late. They said, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. (laughs) Right? We don't, we, don't, we don't just say it, we, we pray it, right, when we face the multitude of issues that are coming our way. Lord, send it away. You ever find yourself doing this? The multitude comes in, you're just like, Lord, can you just deal with that? <laughs> we often, it's the thing, we often pray away the thing that God sends his provision in. Everyone, everyone wants to see the Red Sea parted, but we don't want the scariness of the shore. Everyone wants the walls of Jericho to fall, but we don't want to go for a walk. <laughs> Everyone wants their Goliath to fall, but we want, don't want to go looking for stones. Like, I think practically for you and I, like when the multitude comes in, like it scares us and it feels uncomfortable, right? And we don't want that. And so we pray it away. And here was the revelation for me. The miracle was in the multitude of issues. The miracle was in the multitude It wasn't in the way that Jesus dealt with the multitude. A miracle was in the very thing that they were trying to say. And look, let's let's do this as a as a pop quiz. And we need to do this for anyone who's kind of new to Christianity. But if you're you're brave enough to answer this question, answer this for me. But who here has ever been in a life situation where you've said, you know what? A multitude came into my life and I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. I didn't like it. I wasn't happy in it. But you know what? Because of that multitude, that was probably the closest and the most miraculous way God has ever lived and breathed into my life. Can anyone attest to that? Take a look around. How often do you and I pray away the multitude? And if there's a multitude, it means there's an opportunity for God to do something miraculous. And so then Jesus goes on and he switches, we switch scenes to Mark's perspective now, not Matthew's. But he goes on and he says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would almost take a year's wages. See, see the way that they're logically looking at the multitude of issues. Uh, Someone's financial in there. Who knew that one of Jesus' followers was an accountant? Are we going to go and spend that much on, you know, on bread and give that them to eat? And then Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see we say it's not enough jesus says go look at what you do have send some people so they can go and buy food for themselves send them to accumulate more send them to get more send them to do more because that's the way that we operate right if there's not enough then the solution to not enough is just more go and work out a way for us to have more. We say that because as we are is not sufficient. We say that because as we are is not enough in our minds. And hey, listen closely. It is always the tactic of the enemy to convince you that who you are and what you have is not enough. Amen? Five and two. Five and two. <laughs> it's, it's all they had. Five loaves, two fishes. Five and two. That's all they had, five and two. 
And what does Jesus say? He doesn't even get the, give them a chance to answer. He says, go look, duh. Right? It's kind of, I kind of imagine Jesus would just have the same tone that my kids would have, you know, after Christmas. And it's like two days after Christmas and they come out to me and say, Dad, I'm bored. You know, I've got nothing to do. Right? It's that kind of statement that didn't even require an answer. It's like, go look. He would do that face. Go look. <laughs> right? Go look. Go look at what you do have. Stop complaining about what you don't have. And what it means that Jesus is saying to I is that, and he says this to his disciples, the very thing that you are complaining that you don't have is the very thing I have already given you access to. And so what it means for you and I is to like, what degree are we trusting in the gifts and the resources that he's already given us? Try this if you want. Make a deal with Jesus. Just say to Jesus, hey, I'll start with five and two. I'll start with five and two. I'll start with what I do have. I'll start with five and two. I'll start with an hour a week of serving others. I'll start with a phone call. I'll start not with 10%, but I'll start with 2% of a tithe if you've never tithed before. But start with something and entrust that into the hands of Jesus. Look at what you do have. Look at what you do have. And then he goes on to say, after all of this, kids, go on for a look. He goes, come on. You know, a parent kind of does that. They're just so frustrated with the kids. You get so frustrated, what do you do? Bring it here to me. Bring it here to me. Come on, put it here, put it here. He says, bring it it here. Bring it here to me, he says. And then taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And when this encounter with Jesus, we see that, you know, here's what I've discovered for us. We tend to look bottom up. Jesus tends to look top down. And that's what we see from him here. The question I think for you and I this morning is, are you bottom up thinking? It's like a psychological management terms. It's the way that you solve a problem strategically. You're a top-down thinker or you're a bottom-up thinker, right? See, it matters your vantage point in terms of the types of decisions you're going to make. It matters your perspective in terms of the sorts of faith that you are going to have. It matters your altitude in terms of the type of emotional reaction that you are going to have to this multitude that comes into your life. Your perspective matters. But you know what we do? You know what we do when we see a multitude? We Godzilla the situation. And I'm not talking about CGI Godzilla. I'm talking about 1950s Godzilla, right? You know, you know, you know how they made Godzilla, right? You know how they made him so big? They get the cameras down there and it's, it's bottom-up perspective, isn't it? Like you get, you get the camera right at the feet of Godzilla. And you just, you know, Marcus, you went to film school, right, mate? Like it's, that's what you do, right? You get bottom-up if you want Godzilla to look massive and you don't have CGI, you and I, when the multitudes come, if you're anything like me, are constantly godzilla the situation. 1950s Godzilla. We look at our problems and we go, they're massive. I can't solve this. There's not enough provision in my life. I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to make it. Right? And we, these problems become so huge in us because our thinking is so bottom-up. Jesus, on the other hand, is top-down. John 8, he says, I am from above, you are from below. And I see what is beyond your horizons. 
I love that phrase. I see what is beyond your horizons. In every situation where you think there's not a solution to this, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, I don't know how I'm going to solve this, you're looking at your horizon. He sees beyond that. He knows what is coming back up over the other side. It means that some of you are in situations this week where you can't see beyond tomorrow and you don't know how it's going to work. And Jesus says, I see beyond that because I'm a top-down thinker. A quick side note, you know the only reason why he had compassion on that crowd? It's because... It says here that he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. I think it's because he's looking from heaven's perspective that he's not so caught up in his own issues and his own needs that he's able to see the needs of others. <laughs> Jesus says, get my altitude, get my perspective, get my vantage point. Right? Do that stop living in the 1950s model of Tokyo City. That's what we do. Right? Your life is not 1950s Tokyo. See it from his... He's outside the set. He's bigger than the set. He sees that perspective and he invites you and I into that this morning. So multitude of issues or a miracle? Not enough? You already have what you need. Are you bottom up or top down thinking? It, will it be enough? Will it be enough? Will it be enough? And look, I know there are some of you this morning saying, yeah, well, Sam, this is not going to fix my business. So I'm going to give me a job. So I'm going to pay my bill. And I guess the question that I've got for you if in that space this morning is, is, is your scepticism, is your anxiety, is your worry driven because you are defining enough by the quantity of your stuff? Because if enough is defined by stuff, of course it's not going to be enough because life is tough when the benchmark is stuff, right? Because of the third Newton's third law of thermodynamics, right? It's as simple as that. Entropy. If you haven't worked it out, like if you haven't seen it yet, everything is decaying in the universe. Everything is going from an ordered state to a chaotic state. Everything is going from hot to cold. Everything is going from formed to broken and crumbling. It's happening around us. For some of us, we kind of start to understand that when we get out of bed of a morning. We kind of live entropy. I've already got the physio cream on this morning before I get here. You know, I'm at the beginning of old, remember? <laughs> Everything is decaying and and, and, and Jesus says, like, if, if you are defining your enough by stuff, he says, do not work for that which will spoil, he says in John's Gospel. He said, he's saying third law of thermodynamics, entropy. He's saying you're asking for bread, but that bread is going to decay. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't come to offer us stuff. He comes to offer us himself. And I know that sounds so cliched, like that's, so, that's, such a, that's such a Christian cliche, you know. Well, don't worry about your bills. Jesus offers you himself, right? But can I suggest to you as a, as a pastor who's seen, you know, 50, 60 different deathbed moments in people's lives, that when it comes to that final week of a person's life, that people don't end up having possessional regrets, they end up having relational regrets. 
I mean, as a pastor, I've never been by someone's bedside as they're getting ready to pass away and to be with Jesus. And I never have someone come and say, Sam, can you do me a favor? Can you just go out? Here are the keys. Can you go and grab my Mazda CX-9? And can you just park it by the window so I can cast my eyes on it one last time? (laughs) Some of the people don't say, can you just go grab me my favorite pair of shoes? You know, the really cute ones with the kitten heels that I loved. You know, I just want to hug it. Right? You know this. You know that when it comes to that moment in your life, you're not going to be after your stuff. Thank goodness that Jesus doesn't come to give us stuff, but he comes to give us himself. Thank goodness that Jesus doesn't come to give us possessions, but he comes to give us a relationship. God doesn't send us a what, he sends us a who. He sends us a who, and he goes on in this passage to reveal his identity, but with a blank. He says, you know what? You, you want to know what I bring? He says, I am blank. I am the bread. If you are hungry, I am the bread of life. You're feeling disconnected? I am the vine. You're feeling lost? I am the shepherd who will guide the sheep. You're feeling disconnected? I am the vine. You're feeling like you're lost. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God is the only thing. Have you ever thought about this? God is the only thing in the universe that is 10,000 times brighter today than he was yesterday. God is an explosion of self-directing, self-initiating, personal power. God is the only thing that is throwing dust in the face of Newton's third law of thermodynamics. God is the only one who is burning brighter and aliver and newer. You ever realize that God's got less wrinkles on his face than he did yesterday? It's not possible to have the old picture of God because God is constantly this life force that's bursting forward into the universe. He's an explosion of light and of power and of love. And we want stuff. And we want stuff. That happened in the passage. They see all these miracles. They come back the next day. What do they say in John's Gospel? Got any more bread? <laughs> you do the bread thing again? <laughs> I find in Christianity, and it's true of my life, you know, we get into these tough situations of provision and feeling nervous and anxious, and we always just want a map. And yet in Jesus, we get the guide. I don't know what you would want in the middle of these difficult circumstances. Do you want stuff or do you want a saviour? Do you want <laughs> stuff or do you want a guide? And I think as we finish this morning, you know, there's, there's, there's that question in John 6, 9 in his gospel. How far will this go amongst so many? There was a the question of the disciples. Will it be enough? Will I have enough? Will we be okay? I think there's a hidden verse in all of that that doesn't get documented. And if it isn't there, it'll be in the Sam Amplified Version Bible, which I'll release at the end of the year for $39.95. Right? <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. We're not that type of church. Um, <laughs> I think there's a hidden verse there where Jesus says, you know what, Um, try it out. Bring it here. Trust me. Put it in my hands. I think it's the verse he said to him, like, how do you go when you went fishing by yourself? You put me on the boat, the thing almost sank. Trust me with this. Trust me with, with this. Trust me to allow this to be okay in your life. How far will it be? How much will we need? You know, it means for you and I, of course, of course we are going to ask that question this year. 
Will it be enough? Will I have enough? But you know what? There was one follower of Jesus called Paul and he was an enemy of Jesus. And he, after his time with Jesus, he learned a life lesson. He said, I've learned what it is to be in want and to be in plenty. And as a result, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned that I've got enough. That who I am with Jesus is enough. And I don't know about you, but not enough teaches you. He said, I learned. Not enough teaches you. Not enough shapes you. Not enough forms you. Not enough grows you. Not enough gives you gravity. Not enough turns you into the sort of person that, you know what, is just interesting and useful. Some of you are sick enough to say that you like not enough. Because you've been on the other side of not enough and you understand what it has produced in you. And that is Jesus' promise for you this morning. Of course, it will be scary. Of course, you will be anxious. Of course, you will be worried. But my question for you this morning is, as we head into this year, do you see a multitude of issues or do you see an opportunity for a miracle? And you know my style. I'm not talking about one of those sorts of miracles where, you know what, if you just say, Lord, bless me enough, then you're going to win the lottery. You know, I'm not saying one of those miracles, if you just bring enough stuff to the foot of the pastor, then I'm going to bless you, right? Not one of those miracles where if you, just, if you just do this, then God will do that. He is not a linear God. He is not an equation. But I know because, because of so many of you that sit here have already proven it in the lives that you live. You know that my job is to argue that Christianity is true, but you guys prove that it works. The sort of miracle that I'm talking about is the miracles that I see in front of me each and every week in this place. It's the miracle in a world that is so self-interested that I do life with a bunch of people who are selfless. It's the miracle that in a world that is so focused in on itself that there are people in this room that spend parts of their week focusing on other people. It's the miracle with everyone else in the world, in your world, that you're going to live with this week is trying to take, 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 take and get for themselves. And yet I live with a bunch of people who give. And I don't know if you do this, but I do this every now and then when I get in my own head of my own anxieties about how things are going and what we're going to do organisationally with all this stuff. Have you ever stopped and looked around in this moment to think about what a miracle this thing is? That we are sitting in this morning. Where else in the world do a bunch of radically different people turn up into a place and give? It's not natural. It's not natural, but you know what it is? It's the spiritual reversal of the third law of thermodynamics, right? The Christian church, Jesus' church, Jesus' followers are the only one in a world that is getting darker and is getting greyer and getting colder and spiritually decaying and morally decaying. They're the only ones that are bringing new life into the place. And there are just moments where I have to sit down when it all feels too much and I say, this thing is a miracle. This is not some Wizard of Oz machine. <laughs> there are times in which I feel totally helpless as a pastor to do anything and I am to make this place happen. It's the power of God. And it's the miracle of God that breaks into these situations. Are you looking at a multitude of issues or are you looking at an opportunity for a miracle? You know, verse 16, when they gave it to him, he received it and he blessed it. And I leave you with this morning to say, you do not need more in your life. You don't need more. You just need God to bless what you have and who you are. 
And He's already given you the resources with Him to survive what it is we are all going to walk through. And maybe, just maybe, in the sickest of ways, when a little bit of our enough gets stripped away and we experience not enough, we realize that we are enough and that we have enough. And so I speak to those this morning particularly that have a multitude weighing in on you. You know, maybe you haven't considered that you've got enough in your hands this morning. I talk to all the skeptical who say, will it be enough? Will I have enough? Jesus says to you this morning, you have enough. You don't need more. You have enough. Give it to me. Watch this. Let's pray. Father, I lift up those of us this morning that are in that space. There is deep uh, uncertainty and there are realities to what it is that they are facing this morning. I pray by the power of your spirit that the reality of what we have been talking about this morning would sink into our hearts. If there are those of us that are not there in that space this morning, Lord, I pray that this would be a seed of faith that would be sown for those times in which the circumstances of life would push in against us. At the same time too, Father, I pray for this community and first of all, I thank you for the miracle that it is. thank you for the life and I thank you for the joy and I thank you for the buzz of activity that happens thank you for the multitude of conversations thank you for the phone calls I thank you for the people helping people move I thank you for the people helping each other out with finances I thank you for the people giving words of encouragement I thank you for the people visits the sick Lord it's a miracle May we each take comfort as we sit shoulder to shoulder with one another this morning. That as the people of God and as followers of you, that not only will we be okay, but we have enough. Lord, may we dare in faith to praise you and thank you for what it is that you've placed into our hands. The resources, the gifts. Help us to walk that out with diligence and with faith and with excitement and with joy. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.